Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where every other week or so we talk about something completely unrelated to drinking and talk about how to actually make a thing. Yes, well, we're talking about something so unrelated to drinking that it's related to most drinking. We are, of course, talking about malt. That's right, and we'll explain all about it after this message from us. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Yes, we are back and talking to you about malt, which is not a thing so much as the product of a thing. Yeah, malt is not a noun, it's an adjective, technically. Mm, Malting, malted. Like malted wheat, malted barley, malted corn. Exactly, and the, the process is, I guess, part and parcel of... Well, the process of malting is part and parcel of how you end up with such significantly different flavors in malted beverages, beverages that contain a malted ingredient. Mm. And like we can both list a whole heap of drinks that have malt in them, including Milo. Yeah. And of course, the, the reason for malting is um, is an interesting one because malting grain develops the enzymes required for modifying the grain starches into various types of sugar, including monosaccharide glucose, disaccharide maltose, trisaccharide multitriose, and higher sugars called multidextrins. Well, let's go even more into the definition of malt. It's a... In in a nutshell, it is a germinated cereal grain that has been dried in a process known as malting. The grain is made to germinate by soaking in water and then halted from germinating further by drying with hot air. Or kind of roasting. Well, that that is the definition of roasting. Yeah, and how they dry it and roast it then makes the difference to what flavours that malted barley or wheat Mm. will impart on what's being made with it. Yeah, and so the, the the process of doing so, like process of malting grains, has become very, very precise over the years and is the whole reason we ha- even have a beer called pale ale because they never used to be able to uh, roast the malts that precisely to get a particularly pale malt. Yeah, and... Now they can because technology improves and improves and improves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, S- surprising no one. Yeah, surprising <laughs> no one. And if we look at uh, the things that malt is used in, and uh, I suppose we could start by talking about malt liquor because it's um, one of the early mentions of malt in drinks is malt liquor, which was first documented in England in 1690 as a general term encompassing both beer and ale. Now, of course, we should point out that malt is also used in whiskies. Yeah. <clears throat> which have been around easily as long. Yeah. Well, they've been using malt in uh, in beer since the ancient Egyptians and the ancient Chinese. 
Oh, that's correct. They just didn't have the word for it. No, but they definitely used it. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Um, so, the, the earliest examples of using malted grains have been found in ancient Egypt, Sumer, and China. The process of malting is, uh, in fact, not when a bird loses its feathers. Well, it is, but it also isn't. <laughs> uh, it's the process of converting the barley or other cereal grains into malt for use in brewing, distilling, or in foods, and takes place in a place called a maltings, sometimes called a malt house or a malting floor, where the cereal is spread out on the malting floor in a layer of 8 to 12 centimeters. That's mm. 3 to 4.5 inches, for those of you in the US of A, in depth. Mm. As opposed to a molten floor, which means the floor is lava. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And uh, so the malt process starts with drying the grains to a moisture content below 14% and then storing them for around six weeks to overcome seed dormancy. Now, that was something that I found really cool. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but seed dormancy is the evolution, evolutionary adaptation that prevents seeds from germinating during unsuitable ecological conditions that would typically lead to low probability of seed survival. Ah, that was a mouthful. Um, mm. Basically, seeds don't germinate unless they've been dried and roasted. And they need them to germinate. That's important. And yeah. we'll get to why a little later on. Because mm. when it's ready, the grain is immersed or steeped in water two or three times for two or three days to allow the grain to absorb moisture and start to sprout. So they, they, they dry it and then they... Uh, soak it again cool yeah to to get it ready to 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 trick it into thinking that it's time it's go time trick the seeds into thinking it's go time exactly and uh, when the grain has a moisture content of around 46% it's transferred to the malting or germination floor where it is constantly turned over for about 4 to 6 days while it's air dried again There you go. So at, at this point, we've got a, uh, we've got something. We uh, at this point, the grain is called uh, green malt, and it's kind of ready to sprout. It um, and it will do so if they're not careful. Um, so to stop that, they then properly dry it and stick it in a pre-toasting oven or kiln to get the desired color and temperature color and specification mm, and of color course and flavor and yeah and of course it's the improvement in kiln technology and the ability to very precisely set the temperature and amount of time something spends in there mm. that yeah has as you said earlier allowed the existence of pale ales and very lightly colored malts yeah cuz before uh before the invention of a coke oven not the not the drink. Uh, Coke being a particular type of, uh, I guess, coal or a particular byproduct of coal. They were like the most ale that you were able to get was was either lager or brown ale or dark ale because yeah. it, was, it was too hard to get 
pale moths. And of course, you know, you go back far enough and all of this heating was taking place powered by wood and fire. Mm. And which it, that's a very inconsistent way of heating something. Yeah. So naturally, it's easy to get dark malts for producing dark beers, mm. but not so easy to get the sort of malt needed to make a crystal beer, yeah. for example. Yeah. Because uh, chances are the malt would still be raw, and when you tried to ship it, suddenly you have sprouts. And yeah, which, not good. No, that, that kind of ruins the drink. But then the sprouted stopped halfway through the sprouting process and slightly heated grain, which is where we're up to at this point, where they've kind of teased it a lot to make it sprout just a little and then stopped it in that process. Interestingly enough, just as a little addition to that, the current term of phrase for slightly sprouted grains is activated. Ah. And you might see that in a lot of these uh, health food stores. Like oh, act- yes, activated grains. Yeah, like yes. activated uh, sunflower seeds or activated almonds. Like the almonds have, the almond seeds or poppy seeds or whatever have woken up and started germinating, sprouting. Yeah, and uh, so that activated grain is then further dried and smoked by spreading it on a perforated wooden floor. And smoke coming through an oasting fireplace via smoke channels is then used to heat the wooden floor and the sprouted grains, and the temperature is usually around 55 degrees Celsius. Now, obviously, at this point, what they choose to use to create the smoke makes a world of difference. Mm. And if you've ever had a smoky, peaty whiskey, that's when they did it. Yeah. By using peat to make the smoke that hit it in that final stage. Mm. So that because peat is a very poor uh, burning material, it smokes a whole lot. Yep, and they would need to use a lot of it to get a consistent temperature of around fifty-five degrees Celsius. That's one thirty-one Fahrenheit for those of you playing in the US. Yeah, freedom units. Mm. <laughs> So a maltings is typically, just to describe the building, because why not? Yeah. Typically a long single-story building with a floor that slopes slightly from one end of the building to the other. And floor maltings actually began to be phased out in the 1940s in favor of pneumatic plants, where large industrial fans are used to blow air through the germinating grain beds and to pass hot air through the malt being kilned. Sounds like a specialized industrial oven. Oh, yeah. So, like floor maltings, these pneumatic plants use batch processes, but considerably greater size, typically 100-ton batches, compared with the (laughs) 20-ton batches of floor maltings. And as of 2014, the largest malting operation in the world was Malt Europe, which operates in 14 countries. Hmm. I wonder if they're all in Europe. Well, there's definitely more than 14 countries in Europe, so could be, could be. So, the most common type of malted grain is barley. And this is because it has a very high content of enzymes. Uh, But quite often, as you would probably know, Mikkel, that they use wheat for, you know, wheat beers or rye, oats, rice and corn. Mm, Though Um, when it comes to whiskies, a lot of places, barley is easier to grow. Yeah. However, bourbon is made with corn, 
It is. And, uh, yeah, so when, when the, this is the part that blew my mind when I was researching this. When, like, when they're talking about a single malt, it's not, like, they're, it, they're talking about a, a single malt type of malted grain. So, it's either barley or wheat or corn or whatever. Like, yeah. But, you know, they could be still using 30, 40 different types of that particular malt. But it's all from the one... So, it's all malted barley or all malted wheat or all malted rye. Yeah. It's a single malt. Though the single, actually, as you'd know if you've listened to uh, our whiskey episodes, refers to it having come from a single distillery rather no, than... No, that's something different. In in single malt whiskey, single indicates that all the spirits in the bottle came from a single distillery. The malt indicates that the whiskey is distilled from a malted barley, rye, or wheat. And if it is a double malt or triple malt, that designation apparently indicates that the whiskey was aged in two or three types of casks, but was not blended. Huh. And here I was thinking a single malt could have been a blend from different distilleries, but still the same grain, same type of grain. And then you had single, single batch, mm. or uh, this is specifically with Scotch, and they're yeah picky, they're, yeah about their terminologies. Yeah, very true, very true. Although I suppose it's easier to get the same. Uh, stuff from the same distillery plant. Well, yeah, you would you would think so. Mm. And then your blendeds are when it has come from several different hmm. locations, used from multiple distilleries there, and combined together. There you go. Mm. So there are. So we can uh, split malt into. We can split malt into two categories. Uh, but we've got base malts and specialty malts. And base, base malts are the type of malts that a brewer or distiller will use in most of the most of the beer or most of the whiskey or whatever it happens to be that they're making. This, th- the bulk is really just to add enough sugar to kickstart that fermentation. Yeah, and that is, of course, the... Base malt is the key ingredient that sets what type of beer something is or what type of whiskey it is. The base malt has to be a corn malt if it's going to be a bourbon. Mm. It can contain other malts, but at least 51%, which is what's required for it to be the base, has to be that one specific thing. Yeah. Uh, You've also got specialty malts, which have what's called a little diastic power or a low amount of enzymes or a low amount of enzymes, uh, but they they are the ones that provide flavor, color, or body or viscosity, how how thick, how uh, easy it is to cut your beer with a knife and fork. Um, they add this to the finished beer. So things like caramel malts or crystal malts, 
have been subjected to heat treatment to convert their starches to sugars, and they are the ones that provide a particular type of flavor. This is where you'd add your chocolate malts for a stout. So, beer. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, interestingly, there is in the US something referred to as flavored malt beverages. Oh, yeah. They're all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Like, but they're, they're real specific about it in the US, though. The laws and stuff oh. are crazy and confusing. <laughs> crazy may be wrong. Confusing, definitely. <laughs> because under the Federal Alcohol Administration Act in the US, a malt beverage must be made from a base that is 25% malt and must contain at least 7.5 pounds of hops per 100 barrels of finished product. 7.5 pounds of hops. Per 100 barrels. That doesn't seem like very much. It doesn't seem like very much, no. And um, where it gets interesting is that beer, you would think, is obviously a malted beverage and would come under malted beverage. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that when it comes to taxes and things, some of the rulings can result in things being classified differently. So meeting the qualifications for a flavored malt beverage can have huge implications on a product from a labeling, marketing, distribution, and tax perspective. A flavored malt beverage could fall under the regulation of the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, or the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, the TTB, or both. And labeling requirements for beers not made from malted barley and hops are regulated by the FDA, while malt-based products, distilled spirit-based products, and wines with over 7% alcohol are subject principally to the TTB requirements and will need to get certificate of label approval and most likely formula approval. But FDA-regulated products must include nutrition facts and other information not required under the TTB. So some products that fall under the FDA's labeling jurisdiction will also need TTB formula approval if they somehow fall under both. That's amazing. I can't say I've seen a beer in Australia with nutritional information on it. No, because here we don't we don't have those rules. The nutritional information is usually this contains beer when it comes to Australia. Yeah. Well, on that note, we should talk about the beer that we're drinking. Hey, what was that ad campaign that said made of beer? There was one. Was there? There was an Australian beer ad campaign that had the byline made from beer. Um, I don't know. Oh, um, Carlton Draft. Yeah, so... Made from beer. Carlton Draft, made from beer. Yep, they... As opposed to, is beer? It sounds like a beer-derived product. But yeah, it was an ad in 2005. Right. So when I was not watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> but... But yeah, and it's it, for a while, even became popular on YouTube. Oh. Because it was the... Carlton Draft big ad and the big ad contained the byline at the end Carlton Draft made from beer hmm. there you which, go you know I only point out because that's about as much ingredient information as you will get on a beer in Australia yeah the craft brewers are changing that though they are they have been very good at telling you what type of malts are in there and what type of hops are in there Yes, and in fact, 
we are currently both drinking different beers from Four Pines Brewing Company. Mm. I am drinking the Nitro Stout. And I am drinking their Pacific Ale. And the Nitro Stout is made with water, malt, hops, yeast, and love. Oh, what a coincidence. This is also made from uh, water, malt, hops, and yeast, and love. Just the same ingredients, different order. Yeah. Um, But these, even with the same uh, ingredients, these are two very different drinks. One is a stout, one is an ale. And the key difference is, of course, the malt. Mm. Of course, they're going to have different hops in them. Oh, yeah, naturally, they'll have different hops. But the the thing that results in the massive difference in colour... And consistency. And consistency is very much all about the malt. Because, mm. you know, it's all about that base. <clears throat> the base malts. <laughs> oh, I, I suspect that they'll have very similar base malts because that doesn't add flavour. That just adds the the volume and the sweetness. True, true. But what is interesting is because they've listed the ingredients on here, Australian regulations do say that if you list ingredients, you must list them in order of how much is in the beverage or food product. So they must always be in order of most to least. So you'd think water would be first. Which it is. Yep. And then second... On mine, it says malt. And second on mine, it says malt. And then hops. And then hops. And then yeast. And then yeast. So it's only a little bit of love. Only a little bit of love, yeah. there's <laughs> The least amount of love. It, it takes a lot more malt, hops, and yeast to make beer than love. You, you can't just love a beer into existence. <laughs> well, not with that Which attitude. is a shame, because there have been a lot of times when I've gotten home from work and thought I would love a beer, and it did not <laughs> appear in my hand. <laughs> If only it worked like that. <laughs> if only. If only the Beatles were right and all you needed was love. Mm. Da, da, da. Uh, so we've started rambling a little mm. bit. So let's, I suppose, describe the big differences between these beers. Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, the colour. Yeah. Because mine being a stout, as you would expect, it is... Dark is the Ace of Spades. Mm. It's a lovely, not quite black, but very deep brown. Close enough to black. Yes. Yeah. And versus the the, the Pacific Ale, which is a very light, uh, light orange color. Mm. Slightly towards the golden side, I would say. Hmm. But definitely orange. Oh, yes. Yeah. And very delicious. Yes, indeed. And naturally, of course, that uh, colour difference comes across in the head as well, with the head of this stout looking almost like the bubbles you'd get on top of a malted chocolate milkshake. Yeah, and the bubbles the or the head on top of the Pacific Ale being basically white. Yeah. It's so fascinating how you can use the same ingredients, just... I suppose cook them differently to have to create two very different drinks. Yeah, it's um, almost like how you prepare something makes a massive difference. That's <laughs> the whole thing. Like you can start with beer and end up, or start with a a mash and end up with whiskey instead of beer. Yeah, I mean, probably not by accident, but well, yeah, no, definitely not by accident. Yeah, see, and then. 
what sort of mash that is will end up with what sort of whiskey it is. And even if it's a barley malt mash, maybe you end up with a Scotch whiskey, maybe you end up with an Irish whiskey, depending on what you do with it next. Mm. That's it. And, yeah, there's so many different ways of doing it. Yeah, I mean, malt is truly so immense and versatile that we could bore the heck out of you with the science of it for several episodes. And so we're going to try very hard not to. We've, we've scienced you a lot already. Yes. And that's not what we want to talk about. Well, I mean, obviously, to some extent, we do, because this whole episode is about that. It's a, The whole episode's about malt. Yeah. But at the same time, I guess we should point out that malt would have also resulted in the slightly chocolatey flavor that I get from this stout, hmm. while resulting in the entirely different flavor you're getting from that Pacific Ale. Mm. I'm positive if you use the same amount of malt or same type of malts well if, i'm i'm pretty sure if you use i'm i'm almost positive that if you use the same ingredients and only change the malts you, the flavor would change so much it would be a different drink yeah i i agree because even with the same hops the f- the dis- Distinct, strong flavors of dark malts mm. would just almost nullify the light, fruity hops that go into a Pacific Ale. Yeah. And you, you wouldn't notice them at all. Yeah. This one's nice, though. It's not too fruity, which is... It's really pleasant. And I'm really enjoying it. Even though I was kind of in the mood for a darker beer today. But you've you've had that one first. I have. Lucky you. <laughs> Yes, of course, having consumed the darker, stronger beer first, it will make it harder for me to enjoy the lighter, fruitier, more subtle flavours of the Pacific Ale. You say that, but I can see you eyeing off my drink. Oh, yes, I'll still I'll still enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. And that's the trick when, like, now that you mention it, that's something we should also talk about, where when you're tasting beers, you go from the lightest to... Lightest in colour and flavour to the strongest. Mm, and that is mostly also to do with the malt. Mm. Because it's very hard when you've had the strong flavours that come with dark malt for you to then pick up the more subtle flavours that you'll get from the lighter malts. Yeah. And... Uh, I'm pretty sure we mentioned this when we did our craft brew episode, but we tasted the malts, mm. as you would recall, while we were at our brew day that we did an episode about. Mm, they were very sweet. And the difference in the different kinds of malt that we tasted, because there were a few different darknesses of roastings of the malt that we tried, mm. was surprising. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought the same grain would taste so different just from roasting it differently. Yeah, mm. exactly. We've we've kind of come a full circle. We have. We we've, have. We're almost rambling on the same topic. <laughs> uh, something that we forgot to mention earlier is our is the 
how it ends up in a craft brewer's hands or a brewer's hands. Oh, yes. And it has to arrive in a particular way because otherwise it's not, not any good. They, so obviously, like I said, barley is the most commonly used, um, but they need to keep it in a particular condition. They have to make sure that the grain's husk is still intact, still wrapping the seed. Otherwise, uh, the embryo, the the activated uh, kernel, um, can be damaged during the molting process, and which can lead to mold growth, mold, which can lead to mold growth, or other, or it can like dry out and go just powdery, and all the flavor evaporates into the atmosphere. Uh, and the the grain is actually the the sorry the husk is still important, um, even when the brewers crack the shell because it forms a a uh, what do you call it 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 forms a, a filter bed in the the mash tun yeah and then we've seen the immense amount of husk that gets scraped out at the end mm. of production which is still good for animal feed and such yeah well they they mix it with malt extract and feed it to horses It'd be some happy horses. Yeah. Well, it even still tastes all right. Yeah. Like that. You, ho- you tried it. Yeah. Um. Like it tastes like uh, watered down porridge. Uh. But you know it's not bad. I wouldn't want to eat it because it's got so much husks in it. Well, yeah, it is like ninety percent husk. <laughs> yeah. At, at that point, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Um. All right. We'll stop rambling at you guys and wrap up the episode uh have you got anything else uh no i i think that's that's it without going into the real nitty-gritty of the the processes Mm. that's really all we need to cover on the broad and that's i guess not talk about malt again (laughs) by itself because there's a lot of scienciness to it Mm. and that's not our podcast yes we're a little bit of science and a little bit of uh booze yeah or mostly booze. Uh, so if you like what you heard, everybody, be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. We are a good drop all about alcohol on your favorite podcast app, including Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also find us on the socials, Facebook and Facebook Images, as <laughs> a good drop podcast. Instagram, right? Yes, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, we also have a good old-fashioned website, where we have a very large library of 155 episodes now. Uh, it is a gooddrop.com.au. And if you've got any comments, questions, uh, feedback, suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is a gooddrop at gmail.com. Next week, we are back onto old fashioned cocktails. Not talking about the old fashioned, because we've done that. Talking about the Negroni, mm. which remains very popular. Yeah, isn't it like still three or four on the top ten cocktails of all time? Yeah, it's it's top five in a bunch of lists. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm yet to have one. Yeah, I don't think I've had one either. Hmm. 
Oh. We're looking forward to that. We will next fortnight. See you later. Until next time, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>